welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast for episode four. Uh, you're joined by Sam and myself, Kieran, here, and we're so excited to have you here. You are going to learn all about a massive, massive topic. It's all about habits. It's all about routines and how you can formulate more good habits than bad. You're going to learn all about the problems that people have when it comes to actually putting in those good habits. But more importantly, you're going to leave with six practical brain tools on how to form better habits based on the latest neuroscience research. So welcome here. Sam, how are you? Hey, mate. Uh, Very, very well. Thank you. Excited to be here for another episode of Brain Tools. How are you doing? I'm good. Solid weekend. Uh, just sort of nursing nursing into a few things, preparing obviously for today. Um, and just yeah. good to see your face, to be honest with you. I kind of miss you. It's, oh, been, it's been a couple of days, it. right? After the launch as well, which uh, we launched yeah. on Friday, which was uh, very, very exciting. Big news, big news. And speaking a bit of uh, gratitude and appreciation, just wanted to say uh, a massive thank you to everyone who did listen to our launch. We hit over 200 downloads, which is amazing. We're so, so grateful for that. And we've also received some amazing feedback from all everyone who, who gave us a listen to. Um, and I know, Kieran, you had some amazing feedback you wanted to share. Yeah, I when we were getting all this fantastic positive feedback, and again from me, a massive, massive thank you. Like, let's be frank, when Sam and I first started this, we were like, if one person listens to this, uh, I think we've had a massive win. So the fact that we've had 200 downloads is huge. And um, we actually got uh, sort of an, an email come in from a person um, that we know. But um, yeah, it was pretty amazing and, and heartwarming. And I thought it'd just be good to share, uh, share it with you, uh, Sam, and go through it as well. And it, was, it says as follows. It said... As you may know, the last few months have personally been super stressful for me. To be fair, I don't think I dealt with it productively at all. Every little thing would get to me regardless of how big and small. And you touched upon in your stress episode that it is automatically associated with negative stigma. And we're all trained to seek negative energy when you feel it or think you are stressed. And that episode really resonated me and gave me some really clear tools. And he finally says, seriously love brain tools. So thanks so much and keep up the great work. And when um. When I received that and passed it on to Sam, um, look, I, my heart was was pretty warmed, right? Like, I mean, that is that is exactly why we're doing this: is to give you know practical brain science to every everyday people, um, and it was pretty awesome to see, just to, to share. Yeah, so awesome, and so awesome that you shared with that that with me as well. I know I was grinning ear to ear. I'm really thankful uh, for a much. Uh, there was a lot of other uh, feedback too that we received of a similar vein, so really appreciate that coming from everyone, which kind of segues really neatly into today's episode where we're hoping to bring you a whole bunch of value around how your brain works, specifically when it comes to habit. And this is really contextual right now. Uh, And the reason I say that is because I have so many friends who are really struggling with habits and routines. And I don't know if it's the same for you, Kirza, but 
it's 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 a massive problem right now. I totally agree. Like speaking to people, um, you know, about habits, routines, I mean, we've gone from everything being in person, being able to socialize, doing all this stuff. And then, you know, January, February, you know, comes along and good old coronavirus old mate comes through and then changes everything where a bunch of habits, routines and whatnot have to newly be formed and breaking completely all the other things that we actually really treasure, going outside, actually meeting with friends, all those routines that make our life good. And and as you said, people are really struggling to form those new ones and to break old ones. So um, super, super contextual right now. Super topical. Yeah, you're so right about that. And there are a couple of the big cornerstone habits that I know a lot of people uh, I work with that I talk to are struggling with is the lack of socialization, a low lack of socializing and the de- deprivation from the, the gym. People can't go to the gym during the lockdown laws. And, and the biggest thing is that the habits and routines we rely on so much have been completely disrupted by things that are totally out of our control. And that has a really, really uh, big flow on effect to the rest of our life. And we're going to talk a little bit about why a little bit later and also give you some really, really practical things you can do to help form some of those cornerstone habits. But I know Kieran actually has an amazing story about the power of habits in his own life. And I wonder, Kieran, if you'd be willing to share some of that really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for Basically, I, I'm not normally one to be vulnerable. Uh, I like to be known as sort of the, the analytical, Kieran's got it going on type of thing. Um, but habits uh, and this topic uh, are really, really close to my heart. Um, to give give you context, Sam, uh, what I reckon maybe 12 to 18 months ago, um, I probably didn't have the best lifestyle. Um, I was, I reckon, 98 kilos. I meant to be around 80. So I was about 18 kilos overweight. Um, I wasn't exercising. Uh, I wasn't eating well. I have uh, juvenile diabetes. For those that don't know, I don't uh, produce insulin. So therefore, lifestyle factors become really important just for how I'm going generally. And I, and I think, yeah, when I look back now in retrospect to where I am versus where I was, I was clearly not, not in a, a great way, um, doing a lot of, I suppose, bad habits, bad routines without a, without a lot of structure. And yeah, when I look back, I'm not going to say anything too much in terms of like sort of mental health and so on, but I, I definitely sort of sit there and say, was I having the greatest time? And I'd say a, a resounding no. So can you, uh, I actually didn't know this about you, Kieran, specifically. So this is really blowing my mind a little bit. Can you talk a little bit to, you know, like what you were going through, what your mindset was, what was really happening that led to these negative habits as a bit of context for this, for everyone uh, tuning in? Yeah. Um. So again, this, I mean, Frank, I feel a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable actually hearing this. It's, uh, it's a weird feeling that I, that I have with it, but Looking back now, I think what was going through my head is I didn't actually think I had any issues, to be honest with you. Like I didn't think that, for example, going out on a Saturday night and having you know excess drinks or um, ordering delivery three times a day um, with some very very high calorie things. I think uh, I gave uh, you know five guys their entire business, to be honest with you, the entire time. Um, if I'm frank, and just doing all these things, really high blood sugar levels. As um, people at home know, if you do that, there's a lot of um, downstream ramifications. And I think, yeah, I just wasn't in. The, the best place and I didn't have a lot of structure and routine, but I didn't actually know it. And it took, I reckon I started, I tried at least 20 to 25 times to kickstart a new habit. So the classic, I'll start, I'll try fasting. Um, I'll try and eat better. And the classic thing happened, and I don't know if, um, if this happens to everyone, anyone else or just me, but I reckon I would always hold that new habit for three days, 
fourth day, I'd be back eating burgers. I'd be back not exercising. I'd like fall back. And I reckon, as I said, 20 to 25 times, a bunch of people noticing some stuff saying, hey, Kieran, are you all good? Maybe it's time to change a few things. And it's not until the start of this year that, that things really started to change after trying, yeah, 25, 30 times to do so. Wow, that totally resonates with me. I've had similar experience trying to trying to get habits off the ground, so to speak. Um, so thank you for for sharing that story. And I know you've got a great little quote that kind of embodies it. Yeah. So I think as as we sort of fast forward now, um, I ended up taking six months uh, off drinking. So didn't drink any alcohol for six months, got uh, a bunch of exercise where I do sort of four to five times a week now. And I'm not saying this to say I'm a picture of human health and prosperity by any way, shape or form, but the quote that sort of resonates massively by a guy called Will Durant, uh, and also Aristotle said this, is we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. And I think that's incredibly contextual right now because for anyone that has struggled with yeah, forming these habits and new habits and breaking old habits, I I know I want to share that to show you that it is possible, not in a dream, believe, achieve up, but if you really understand the habits that are governing your life, the subconscious ones and the conscious ones, and you actually are aware of them, you, you can change them. And that's the, the outcome today is to take the episodes that we've spoken about, sleep, fear, and so on. And yeah, form those new habits and break old ones to yeah increase your chance of success and, and live a better life. I love it. I love it. It's so true. That's such a powerful quote uh, about the the impact of, of habits on our life. And it kind of leads really well into like what is a habit? And there's there's a great quote from Joe Dispenza that a habit is a redundant set of automatic and unconscious thoughts and behaviors and emotions that are acquired through repetition. And so habits when you you you've done something so many times in response to a certain cue or trigger, which Kieran's really gonna cover in a little bit, that it's something you do instinctually. And I mean, not many people know this, but could you maybe just explain a little bit about how habits work and how this works in the brain? Because I know you did a bit of research on this. Yeah. So it, when I was going through, um, you know, sort of the six month, you know, transformation, um, what basically having is a lot of investigation into those habits. And as you said, like habits are actually so important. Like, can you imagine how inefficient it would be if you had to constantly relearn all the things that we take for granted, brushing your teeth, riding a bike, if you had to constantly relearn them and they didn't become automatic, mm. you'd be you'd be really not conserving a lot of energy if our whole uh, purpose is to survive. And the whole idea with, with habit formation, um, and this is coming from a book by Charles Duhigg, I probably pronounced his name wrong, but it's called The Power of Habit. I definitely pronounced that wrong, sorry. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he basically talks about the whole idea of the stimulus response model. And that's what a habit is, is that there is some form of environmental stimuli and there is a response that you are, your brain uh, coordinates. And there's three sort of factors, if you will, or three parts of this whole response, um, which was coined by BJ Skinner, but there's a few other things that are going through, which is a cue. So you have your cue, which is the actual stimuli itself, right? It's the exposure to it that leads you to then form a routine. And the routine is the set of behaviors, both emotional and actual physical that respond to that cue. And then after you've done that, if you want to actually repeat that particular behavior, it makes sense to have a reward. And this is all part of why habits are basically part of addiction and reward in that if it's a positive uh, reward, you're more likely to obviously repeat that. Negative, probably less likely to do the stimuli. And that's where that sort of power of habit becomes really important. And it's all linked, um, Sam, in like this sort of core area, which is um, what we call the prefrontal cortex. We've spoken about, about it before, the CEO of the brain and linking to something called the basal ganglia. Now, it sounds really silly, but all it basically is saying is your prefrontal cortex says it's plans and then the basal ganglia basically execute on said plans. And dopamine, that key thing in addiction and reward that we always speak about, 
is the core neurotransmitter involved in all of this. And so the modulation of that dopamine through the constant repetition of that behavior makes the habit an actual habit. Wow. Super powerful. And to give like a really concrete example of this, because that's some amazing brain science there. Uh, Just think about your phone. And when you get a notification and your phone goes, bing, that's your trigger. And then your action is then to pick up your phone and look at that notification. And oh, wow, it's a like on that Facebook or Instagram photo you, you posted. And that feels good. And that's the reward. So there's your trigger routine. In, in taking action and then the reward and Kieran just really well articulated how that works in the brain. Is, is that kind of on the right path? Yeah, absolutely. Totally on. And like, as you said, it's those notifications, right? It's the red, they do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Right. And you've, I think it's only coming to now that I've personally realized that all these um, games, all these products are designed to be addictive. They're designed to. And so the whole idea of a marketer um, in any way, shape, or form, and Sam, I'm not having a crack at you, I promise, but is to get people to use the product. And so therefore, they're talking about habits uh, and forming them in other people. And that there are obviously massive problems that can arise with that because more than anything, people form poor habits and people struggle to actually form those habits. And that's where a series of problems become really important um, to discuss where people fall over all the time. Totally, totally. And that links just so well into what we're going to talk about the next episode, which will be on addiction. But now that we've kind of covered what habits are and and why they're so important right now, we're going to go into the next section of this podcast, which is talking about the problems around habits. And now we move into uh, the next section where we're going to talk about the problems that people have in actually building good habits and breaking bad habits. And look, if habits were that easy, everyone would be living an incredibly easy and amazing life, but it's not the case. And so what I want to first start with after delving into this, Sam, and, and looking at the research, but just talking to people about what they find difficult with habits, one thing became incredibly clear to me when I was going through this, and it's that first and foremost, people actually make the mistake of focusing on what they want to achieve as opposed to what they want to become. And this is a really salient point because people then end up setting unrealistic goals because it's not pegged their identity. It's pegged to, hey, here's what I want to achieve as opposed to who do I actually want to become? What does that look like? So so what, what might be an example of that? Well, a really good example just to say of why people fall over then is in the Journal of Clinical Psychology, it shows that apparently 54% of people who tried to make a New Year's resolution transformation, uh, they didn't actually do it and they lost it within sort of one to two months. And it's that whole idea of trying to be aspirational, like here's who I think I should be as opposed to here's who I want to be and who other people think I should be. And the reconciliation between those three things is often really hard. And I myself have set news resolutions countless of times um, and fallen over. Have you out of interest? Uh, yeah, pretty much every year without <laughs> fail. What, which ones? Totally right. Which ones? Uh, I've, look, I've tried a couple of stints, no drinking for a month or two yeah. post January 1st. <laughs> and then someone's birthday rolls around on the 16th and out the window. Dunzo. Yeah, mine was always exercise, right? Like ever yeah. since I like gave up soccer when I was sort of 21, it's always been a classic case of trying to get myself to go for a run. But in the same way that we spoke about earlier, three, four days in, then you revert back to old habits. And the real tangible way to really think about this as an example is if you, for example, and this is the problem that people have, is as opposed to saying, I want to eat healthy, 
you want to change your dynamic to I am a healthy eater. As opposed to if you want to actually write a book, as opposed to saying I'm writing a book, it's about becoming I want to be an author. And that subtle change of aspiring for an identity, right, as opposed to a goal is really important because the first root cause is the identity. And then from the identity falls the goal. And from the goal falls the behaviors that should set up. And so people actually misattribute where they should actually start. And so they start to downstream, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's almost we're, we're focused too much on, on the, the kind of motivation for what we want to be is rather than the identity of what we want to become, which then flows on. Exactly right. So yeah, it's like exercise. I want to be an athlete. <laughs> no, 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 just exercise yeah. five times a week because it's that context that gives the emotional resonance that like allows you to do stuff moving forward. But I think that's that's the primary problem that um that stood up, which feeds into something that you noticed. Yeah, it does. It, it feeds really well. I mean that that self narrative piece feeds really well into the unconscious side of habits, which is also there with the behavioral cues and triggers Kieran just talked about. But the, the reality is whether or not you choose to do so, your actions every day create habits. And these habits can be unconscious. And I talked about one just before that you probably all have some experience with. Um, I, I know I do. Kieran does. Everyone does these days. Uh, the phone. Being addicted to our phones, being addicted to social media, the dopamine rush that comes with the comments and the likes and the social activity there. And the reality is whether we realize it or not, we form unconscious habits and routines based on the rewards and the cues and the behaviors we, we use in our everyday life. And this is purely a function of, of dopamine, the, mostly the anticipation of dopamine, which is the expectation that something's going to feel good. And think about it like this. When you get your phone and you hear that notification ping, you think to yourself, hmm, maybe it's going to be my crush texting me. Maybe it's going to be someone liking my uh, my post <laughs> my photo that I really respect. Uh, you it, right? You you open up that notifications. Oh no, it's just someone I barely know liking my photo. I don't really care. And so, the the biggest reward is actually the anticipation. And the problem is this then weaves into all these unconscious habits that we form without us realizing. Do you have any uh, experiences with that kind of stuff? Yeah, I do, because it's, it's a really interesting point that you raise on that whole idea of um, that the motivation for the thing. Because like I think people often conflate wanting and liking as the same thing, but they're actually completely different. And that's one thing that we're going to speak about when we talk about addiction next week is the real clear difference between the two. Like I want something, I'm motivated to get, I crave it. Once I get there though, and i experiencing the actual stuff, it doesn't necessarily live up to the hype. And that fundamental difference that is built into those notifications that you always, I'd always feel on edge, especially that idea of the crush, which I'm sure that well, I have had before where I'm waiting in anticipation for that uh, message and it comes. And I realize it's like a one word response. I'm like, oh, this was great. Thanks for coming. See you later. 100%. 100%. <laughs> and it's a, I mean, they, the, there's that great, great quote, uh, satisfaction is the death of desire. And this is, Are you Buddha? It's definitely not me. I do not have writing shops like that, but this embodies it. And just the fact that we we actually feel more of a reward in our brain before the reward than we do once we receive it, which leans really well into the problem a lot of people have with the way they go to, to set habits and, and goals. It's a really good point. And I think that's when the second thing that came up, it's all good and well to set a goal, which is so many people have done that before, as as we've spoken about, which is like, I want to, even in like a school setting, I want to get 80%. Or if it's in a, a, 
uh, a promotional setting. I want to increase my salary by $20,000. It's all good and well to have that, but the problem arises. It's all good to set goals, but do you have a system? Do you have a very clear roadmap of how you're actually going to achieve that outcome? And so that's what the problem that we've identified is people don't have systems to achieve their goals. And that's where it leads people to give up early because people also expect the result so much sooner than it actually is designed to be. Like, I'm not going to be able to, if my analogy for you is imagine you have a really entrenched habit and you've had it for 25 years. That means you've spent 25 years walking in one direction. To assume you go to the other direction for five days and you're going to reverse 25 years of conditioning, good luck, Chuck. It's not going to happen. Oh, 100%. It, it, doesn't work. it doesn't work like that. But what you can do is create systems that are a function of two really important things that we're going to talk about in the brain tools section when we get into that really tangible implementation. The two are as follows. Yeah. It's all about physical space, the actual physical environment you're in, and the people you're with. And that's the really interesting part, that those two things lead to a system whereby we can create that quote that we spoke about last week, which is people don't rise to their goals, they fall to their systems. And there was a really interesting study, Sam, uh, I'm not currently in a relationship myself, but for people that are, you know, that whole statement is you are the average of the five people you spend time with in uh, oh, yeah, JAMA, <laughs> JAMA Internal Medicine. They basically just found a really um, clear thing after doing a regression analysis, which is just a fancy way of saying I analyze data. And when they analyzed the data, they found that partners in a relationships, if one of the partners was looking to form those positive habits, people were way more likely, way more likely, the second person to follow suit. And so you've got to have a think about in terms of the people you're hanging around with, what their habits are, whether good or bad, and how that actually influences you and the physical space you're in, particularly given COVID-19, your house, your home, what's the environment like? Is it conducive to good habits? Is it conducive to bad habits? And understanding that relationship between environment and behavior is crucial. Wow. That's really fascinating. And I even have my own little personal anecdote, as you were saying that and mentioning the, the study about partners. So with my, with my girlfriend, my girlfriend who I love very dearly right Make now, sure you say that. One of the things, <laughs> I, I'm making sure I'm putting that out there. Uh, one of the things we've been doing recently is she's really been encouraging me to exercise more frequently and, and regularly with her. And because when she visits and we spend time together, we go out and exercise. It's been so much easier to keep up that habit when she's around than when she's not. So I can say anecdotally, I've experienced this. Absolutely. That makes that makes complete sense though, as well, which is you're doing with someone you care about, right? And you're going to see very often. And that like that person is very a clear factor in your environment. <laughs> and if you don't oh, recognize right. that, then uh, I think you might've missed the point and it might be headed to disaster. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you might want to uh, reassess the situation, which actually leads uh, really well into some of the benefits of building habits, which we're going to touch on really quickly right now before we get to the section everyone's waiting for the brain tools the practical application but you had a couple of benefits and i I had a really interesting study maybe let's start with some of the ones you came across yeah well i think we, we sort of flip it and we always ask ourselves okay if i had really good habits what would my life look like and painting that picture we're not necessarily monet or picasso but if we can paint that picture for a second you automate your life like at the moment, there's this massive over the past 10 to 20 years, let's automate business. We want to automate stuff, AI, et cetera. In reality, on a human individual level, your automation are your habits. So if your habits are good, it's so much easier to live a good life. It decreases the probability of living a bad life. And so you can actually end up spending more time on the things that matter to you. You actually direct your attention because in the reality we speak about is you are what you spend your time on. 
and your time is a function of the attention you spend on stuff. And so what I probably wrap up here is to say, hey, that's the core benefit. Spend time on more stuff that you actually want to do and have the mental and physical energy and capacity to do so. And that's the whole idea of, you know, establishing those habits and routines. Love it. Love it. Really uh, making, uh, automating your brain in a way. Automation, what, what? Sort of brain automation. <laughs> uh, and I mean, there are, there's one benefit I, I think is really important right now when you think about routines and uncertainty. And that's the fact that our brains don't like uncertainty. Uncertainty engages our amygdala in a fear, flight, or freeze, or actually fear and freeze response. Check out the episode. Uh, <laughs> check out the episode, last episode, which can stifle clear thinking, but also floods our body with cortisol. That's how stress happens. There's actually some hypotheses that all of anxiety and stress is a function of uncertainty and uncertainty to, to threats. And reducing uncertainty requires a lot of mental energy. And they actually did some studies on this. And there's quite a few studies where they took people into lab settings and they sat them down and they gave them a whole range of uncertain things that could happen in the next uh, few minutes to an hour in these studies. And what they found is cortisol spiked. Stress went through the roof. People were unsure what was going to happen. And so they had all these study participants freaking out in their labs. And they, they looked at activation in the brain and the, the areas associated with stress and fear. The amygdala, the anterior insula were lighting up. And how does that relate to habits and routines, Kieran? Uh, I know you might be thinking that. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking, so what you're saying is like that, so the alarm system, right, of the amygdala, the limbic yeah. system, just going bing, 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 that, that's uncertainty that leads to it. So can you, can you give me an example of like, yeah, what, what does that actually look like tangibly? Totally. I can give you an example of uh, when your amygdala, Amy, is hijacked. Think about when you're at work and maybe your boss sh shoots you a message and they say, hey, Kieran, uh, we've got a talk next week on Monday. And then they don't tell you why. Nice. And it's Thursday. <laughs> so grim. You're thinking, so grim. You think over the next few days, we've got a talk. Like, what does that mean? Am I fired? Am I losing my job? Have I done something wrong? What does it mean? There's so much uncertainty. So your brain goes into this expectation and anticipation mode and you start freaking out a little bit. Then Monday comes around and your boss says, oh, hey, Kieran, you've just done a really great job at work and I was going to offer you this big project. That's, that is actually so true though because humans really suck with uncertainty because I'm just thinking about it from my own personal lens. So whenever yeah. is, you know, when someone hasn't replied to you for like two or three days, it's been ages and you're just sitting there like ruminating, creating this story like, what have I done? You sort of go into self-loathing, self-blame mode and then they sort of reply and like everything's all good. Oh, I was just busy. But you create this story in your head that just is like the most worst case scenario and that always happens in the dating game really early on. hundred <laughs> percent. That's a perfect, the blue ticks, right? I hate blue Left ticks. on unread. I actually hate it. I I can't. <laughs> I can't. I, it's like I, it's like how I hate full stops. <laughs> when one word full stop, well, after waiting three days on blue ticks, oh, not a good feeling. Brutal. You know something's going wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, I can totally emote with that. But speaking of emoting, um, that's that's now we've covered some of the the benefits and some of the problems associated with habits and not forming habits. Really excited for the next section where we talk about six practical brain tools you can use to form better habits and, and break negative habits coming up next.
Awesome. And now we move into our favorite part of this, and I'm sure everyone else's favorite part, which is brain tools. We're going to get incredibly practical right now um, and look at how do you actually form a good habit? Like what are some really tangible things you can do immediately after to actually get this stuff done? And the context I want to provide for these six brain tools, as we always do, we like the, the number six, Sam and I, is a quote by Albert Einstein. Notice, I've only got one quote today, Sam. Only one. Oh, give it to me. <laughs> which is, Compounding is the greatest mathematical discovery of all time by Albert Einstein. Now, the thing that he always talks about and we talk about, humans have an ability to always think linearly. We always do that in reality. We're not very good at thinking exponentially. And the whole idea, if you think of habits as the currency of self-improvement, which is if you get 1% better every single day across the next 365 days, you end up 37 times better than you were at the start. But if you get 1% worse through bad habits, every single day for the rest of the year, you get close to zero. Mm. And the whole idea here is to understand that habits are tiny and small changes that compound exponentially. Trying to reach for the stars is not important. Let's just reach for the sky first and build our way up in a nice ladder. And this idea forms quite nicely into my first brain tool, um, which is one, perform a habit scorecard. And I'll be- Perform a habit scorecard. Okay. Scoring. And this comes from uh, a book uh, that I've read, James Clear, Atomic Habits. There's a few things that come from this. But his idea here and what it is, is taking an audit of all the habits you currently have, no matter big or small. Brushing your teeth, that's a habit. Having a shower, that's a habit. Commuting to work, that's a habit. Speaking to your friends, that's another habit. And the whole idea here is you list all the habits, no matter how big or small you have, and then you actually categorize them as to whether you feel they are a positive a neutral or a negative influence in your life. And that visual picture of quickly doing that, when I did it, I had ended up being about 30, 31 different habits and categorizing it to see, hey, there's more pluses than minuses. There's less of this, there's less of that. Becomes really, really interesting moving forward uh, to actually do it and categorizing it according to those identities of whether it's wealth, whether it's to do with money, whether it's to do with other things, becomes a really tangible thing that you can do. Wow, so it's almost it's almost like a... Like a pros and cons of habits. Spot on. Have a picture, instant snapshot of where you are actually at so you actually understand how many habits you have because you spoke about those unconscious habits. Write them down. Yeah. And that is my first brain. Boo. I like it. I like it a lot. It's uh... (laughs) a... That's 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 great. You were just about to say powerful, weren't you? (laughs) I was about to say powerful. Uh, but we're refraining from saying powerful as often as I usually say powerful because it doesn't become powerful if you overuse powerful apparently, power, power, which is not powerful. Um, that's great. It's a great way of visualizing it, which I'd never really thought of before. And so you actually went out and, and drew them, written them all out by hand. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, got, you know, how I love my tables. I just got a table. I said, what's the habit category? Number one habit, whether it's plus or minus and what category it comes to. And you almost have an understanding of what percentage of your habits are dedicated to health, wealth, exercise, as we said, which I know works really interesting in terms of your brain tools when you speak about the different studies you've done as well in terms of uh, uh, the, the the ancients when they went into their habit formation. Yeah, it really does. Uh, that's that's so, so useful for really getting a picture of where you are. And it leads really well into brain tool number two, The what I'm about to talk about, which is how do you help ensure that these good habits you you now have actually happen how do you make sure you, you do what you're going to say you're going to do and the the really simple way you do that is you create this 
if then plan. Oh, and, and I like this. Plan. I like where this is going. Yeah, really, really like amazing stuff that uh, a lot of the big names in the habit space, Charles Duhigg, James Clear, they all talk about this. BJ the Fox. if then plan. Yeah, read his blog. If this happens, then I will do this. For example, if I wake up at 6.30, then I will go for a walk. That's my if-then plan in the morning. And there's been a slew of research on how effective these are. And they actually help you create routines by creating a contextual timed cue for when something happens to trigger your behavior. So you think about what Kieran said before. Kieran, you talked about cues. I did. And triggers. I did. By saying if, you are utilizing that trigger, which is the if, Mm -hmm. to then cue up a routine, which is the then, Mm -hmm. which will then lead to the habit formation. uh, And eventually you have a reward at the end of this. Um, And I know you you might be thinking, Kieran, that this is all hocus pocus. What am I basing this on? Well, they actually did a study. Oh, oh, you got me. The moment you say study, Sam, I'm already here. So. I'm ready. Yeah. Talk to me. I'm, I'm glad you are. They did a study in 2001, one of many studies on this topic. They did a study in 2001, 248 people in Great Britain trying to build better exercise habits over two weeks. And they had three groups. In group one, they had people who just went about their business and tracked how much exercise they did over the two weeks. In group two, they had a group that had to watch motivational materials to watch a presentation about why they should exercise, the health benefits, the the improvements it can have on their cardiovascular system. And then they had group three. And group three got the same material as group two, the motivational stuff and the presentations. But then they had to write down what they were going to do, when they were going to do it, and where they were going to do it. And this was called the implementation intention. This was the if-then plan. I love that because because so, it's almost as if like you're because you're actually creating the the behavior you're going to do without before actually doing it. It's almost creating that automatic loop of here is situation which is the stimulus. Here's the response that I should do, and that's when we talk about like simulation. Then you practice that. It almost becomes that very clear associative relationship. So by clearly documenting that, that's um yeah, good oh, stuff. Sam. So I like that. So uh, I'm, I mean, it gets even better when you hear the results, right? So you've got these three groups and group one and two for the next two weeks, basically 35% of them exercise at least once. So between watching motivational videos and doing absolutely nothing, there was almost no difference in the groups. Now the group who wrote down the if then plan, 91% of them exercised 91 versus 35. So that difference of over 50% just by writing out that implementation intention, that if then, has a massive flow-on effect to whether you're actually going to do a habit or not. I, I love it. How would you then recommend someone, like say I want to create this if-then plan, what would you recommend I do? Yeah. So the way, the way I would do it, and you might have a different way of doing it, but I'm really simply, I go, if I, if I finish work at five, then I'm going to work out. And I, I like to think through them and just make up all these if situations. And I also use them for habits on the fly or routines on the fly. You know, if it hits 2 p.m., then I'll have a green tea as opposed to having an alternative. So just constantly turning everything you want to do into an if and to a, a then. An if and then then statement is the first step. But you can actually take it a little bit further, which Kieran's going to cover a little later on. So that's my first brain tool. Brain tool number two is create an if-then plan for the habits you want to 
uh, ingrained into your life, which really leads into your next one, uh, brain tool number three. Brain tool number three, toi, as the French would say, which is focus on lead indicators, not the lag indicators. So, okay. set. What that means is simple, is that uh, I think this came from um, Management by Objectives by a dude called Peter Drucker, uh, and he's sort of known as the godfather of uh, management, if you will, um, for the past sort of 50, 60 years. And he basically said, a lag indicator is an outcome. It is a result. A lead indicator is the thing that leads to the accomplishment of said outcome. So you might be starting to think, wow, Kieran, there is that, that whole idea of the routine and the reward. And the whole idea here is to create a very, very clear cause and effect relationship between what you do, how you do it, and what you achieve. Now, a really, really clear example of this is your net worth. Your net worth, how much money you have, is actually a lagging measure of your financial habits. How much money you deposit uh, when you get your check coming in? Do you spend it all? Or do you just say, hey, automated, 20% goes somewhere else? Another really clear example is your weight. So your weight, and we can say your overall health, like body fat percentage, et cetera, is a lagging measure for your eating and your exercise habits the type of food that you consume, how often you exercise, what type of exercise that you do. And so your ability to actually change your outcome and therefore your identity is so tagged to the actual inputs of that. So the big takeaway for everyone here is to find of what you are looking to achieve and who you're trying to become, what are the very, very clear tangible habits or things that you would repeatedly do to get to that and track them religiously. Don't just track the outcome of, 89 kilos or 98 kilos as I was, track the stuff that's leading to the change in that number and you'll see magical things happen because you're measuring what matters. Wow, I love that. And it really ties well into what we are talking about before with uh, you know, New Year's resolutions, which are all about you know, lag indicators. I'm going to be this. I'm going to hit this as opposed to saying, all right, well, what's going to get me there, which is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly right. And that, it's, this applies to what we're doing right now as well with the podcast is in terms of, you know, let's say the, the rating that we want to achieve or how many people we want to reach, that's a lag outcome. But our habit is showing up and actually doing this podcast, getting to 10 eps, getting to 15, getting to 20. Like it, it's across all facets, both individual and group, that understanding that relationship is so, so crucial and track both of them. And that's my brain tool number three. Brain tool number three, totally inverting how we usually think about habits. And speaking about inverting, we're actually going to take a break before we come back for the next three brain tools. Stick around. We've got some really great ones, including one you've probably never thought of before. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, stick around. Let's do it. All right, great. Now we've got the last three brain tools for you. Really excited about these. I'm actually going to be a little bit selfish and take the lead, give you uh, brain tool four and brain tool five because I've got some quick ones and then Kieran's going to wrap up with uh, the, the the brain tool of all brain tools for this oh, yeah. episode. My brain tool number four, Kieran, uh, that I think we've talked about a little bit and we've kind of alluded to it, but it's this this concept of, Make the decision ahead of time. So one of my favorite neuroscientists is a neuroscientist called Moran Cerf. And he likes to talk about the fact that we kind of have different people living in our brains. And what he means by that is 
at different times throughout the day, different times throughout the week, throughout life, our neurochemistry, our brain, the way it functions is totally different. It's It changes the, the balance of hormones, of neurotransmitters, of peptides, uh, even down to the structure changes. And so the you that I'm talking to you now, Kieran, on a Sunday evening is not the you who's going to wake up tomorrow. So when we're making habits and when we want habits to stick, we need to be aware that the person waking up in the morning at 5 a.m. is not the same person who's going to bed at 11.30 p.m. convincing themselves that they're going to wake up and go for that five-kilometer run. So one way you can really easily counteract that difference is to make that decision ahead of time, to make it easy for that person. And, and, and one way I, I have personally done this I would be to just put on my workout gear before I go to bed. Or I I put a journal on my desk if I want a journal in the morning because I wake up and then I don't have to think about it. And that not having to think about it, that making that decision ahead of time for the future Sam, who is a grumpy (laughs) person at 5 a.m. and doesn't want to do the work, reduces so much of the cognitive load and and, and applies this this law of least effort where it's a no-brainer, so to speak. Yeah, I love that. It's the path of least resistance, right? Make it as easy as possible. And it's going to feed so nicely into my number three one, which I really love. But I, I just picked up on a point that you raised before, which is it ties really nicely in your first brain tool, which is the whole idea of those if-then plans, which is if-then plans making a decision ahead of time, it makes so much sense to increase probability of desired behavior. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great link. I actually did not see that connection. That's a great, great link. Yeah. Like if you want to wake up tomorrow morning and go for a run, then put your workout gear on and your runners next to the door. Boom, using an if then, which actually ties into brain tool number five, my last one for today. And I'm going to call this brain tool Breaking Bad. <laughs> Did you actually watch it though? No, I never watched it. Oh, what? <laughs> okay, fine, 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 fine. <laughs> you got to give me that. Uh, Breaking Bad. And this is going to have more weight next week and I'll probably retouch on this again because it's really, really groundbreaking stuff. It's the idea that when it comes to bad habits and doing things that have a negative impact on you routine-wise, whether that's drinking or staying up too late watching Netflix and you've watched the seventh episode of season two and you just want to watch that one more episode, wait. Just wait. Wait five minutes and then see if you want to take that decision. And here's why you might want to do that. By waiting for five minutes, there've been a whole slew of studies that looked at activation in that reward center. Those rewards Kieran talked about before when it comes to the the Q routine reward, the reward center basically deactivates or it calms down over that five minute period so that by the end of it, your chance of making that same decision, and especially if it's a poor decision, watching that 10th episode of Netflix at 11.30 p.m. when you've got a big presentation in the morning, greatly reduces love it that's huge that's really interesting that's going to feed so nicely into to next week as well but it's that pause like we are so easy to feel then react but if you can create a little bit of a pause a little bit of a gap maybe the action would be different to if you didn't totally i mean there was even a study they did in the university of basel they had 45 people in they gave them uh, two time frames to make a decision one was eight seconds the other one is as long as possible. And they basically found that when you have more time, the instinctive, emotional decision-making processes subside and people made more logical decisions. And in this study specifically, they made more moral decisions. So when you think about habits, morals, 
similar kind of things. Waiting. I th- just oh, that's come into my head on this because I, I really love that point is even, you know, when you're like having a conversation with someone and you get a bit fired up, this applies massively to it because you probably will end up regretting what you say. So if you're able to take a pause and take away, sort of let the emotion settle, maybe, maybe you'll lead to a better, better outcome in a relationship, in a friendship, um, which is also a form of, of habit because there's the, there's the cue, there's the reward, there's the routine all built into it as well. Absolutely. I mean, like most of our conversational antics or the way we respond in conversations are habits they're behavioral habits and uh, like those those are two small brain tools which i think are really effective and they kind of also tie into the bigger brain tool that kieran's going to present which comes from an amazing book i'm really really excited about this one oh i'm so pumped you know i am i'm itching uh, my third brain, Fanboy. <laughs> and I, I think this is a really good time to put it in because when we talk about the previous episodes that's coming to mind, sleep, we're talking about fear, we talked about well-being, habits and positive habits are a really big part of all of those. And so I, I, I sort of view this, Sam, and bring it all together is these are called the four, labit, uh, four laws of habit change. And the habit change is how do you actually create these positive habits? And it's by a guy called James Clear. Again, I really encourage people to, to pick up the book um, and go to his website, even though we're not affiliated with him. I, I really get a lot of value from it personally. I know you do too as well, Sam. But um, the four laws that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to try and apply it to my experience, um, which was particularly exercise, how I was managed to sort of lose the 14, 15 kilos in the past um, six months through uh, these four key pillars. And they're four which is the questions you want to ask yourself if you want to form a good habit or break a bad one. How can I make it obvious? How can I make it attractive? How can I make it easy? And how can I make it satisfying? And these are the four key pillars. And what I want to do um, for the last sort of five minutes is actually go through what these questions mean and some really t- like clear tools within them that you, that you can use and hopefully share uh, how you can do this yourself. So Sam, I'm going to start with the first one, which is how can I make it obvious? Now, this obvious, which is it's the classic case of out of sight, out of mind, but in front of you, in front of your mind. And the whole idea of if you're trying to create a positive habit, you need to make it so obvious it's right in your face. And a really good example of that, and you said it before, if you want to exercise, the whole idea is putting your shoes right next to your bed. It might be writing a reminder note saying exercise tomorrow. It might be putting in four or five alarms in your phone. But making it so obvious and having so many reminders become really, really clear. And to give you an example of this, it's like habit stacking, which is something that James Clear talks about in the book. And he says that if you're trying to form a new habit, look at your existing habits from the habit scorecard and actually tag one of those new habits to it. So could you explain how how do you do that? Yeah. So I'll give you one like first, which is from brushing teeth. So the whole idea is if you want to like floss, put your uh, floss, if you will, right next to your toothbrush. And when you brush your teeth, you're more likely to see the, the flossing and you're more likely to do it. Again, it's probability exercise. The same thing as we speak about with exercise. If I put my shoes next to my bed and I lay out my clothes there and I have everything there, I'm more likely to do it because it's so much easier to put on my shoes than it is to go for a run. And if you break that habit of exercise into a very linear series of sub habits that if you complete, help you get to the point where you're actually out running on the road, that can help. And that's what works so well for me is literally I yeah. bought barbells and I'm not saying I'm, I'm buff or anything, but I put it in my room. So I'd see it every single day. I put the pull-up bar outside. So when I'd walk, I'd see it and I'd just do maybe four or five because it would cross my mind. So I put uh, things in place that allowed 
uh, collisions to happen where I just did that stuff and ended up uh, exercising. So that's something really clear of making it super, super obvious so you can't ignore. Mm. Does that kind of make sense? Hack Hack your environment, right? You're hacking your environment for habits. Absolutely, through people and through structures, which leads to the second part. How can I make it attractive? How can I make it attractive? Which is the whole idea of this craving. You want it to be like, I want to do this. And what James talks about, which I implement, I'll talk about this in a second, is temptation coupling. And that seems really silly, but he basically says, if you want to basically combine something you do habitually with something you don't like to do. So the classic example here is you might um, watch a certain TV show that you love only while you're at the gym, just as an example. And if you are able to couple that and make it attractive, that is a really, really clear thing. One thing I did, uh, which worked quite well for me because I kind of wanted to look a little bit better, is I had sort of a picture of you know what a good body would look like up on my mirror. And I know that seems really silly, but it was something that looked like a picture of health. And that that to me looked attractive. I was reminded, hey, that's, that's a possible sort of identity change. It's attractive mm-hmm. uh, to me as well. And as I first started, to be honest with you, I didn't even try to run 30, 30 minutes. I did literally a two-minute run. I'd run to the bottom of the hill, I'd run up, and then I'd be done. And then I went to three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, and I started really small. And that was more attractive to me than doing a 30, 40 minute run or doing an an hour gym sesh. So making it attractive to you, whether that is making it start small or big, but uh, um, that is uh, sort of the second question, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like making it something you want to do, uh, however you do that. Like I I know personally, not to uh, take the spotlight a little bit, but I know personally (laughs) I I always, I, I use rewards for myself. So I'll say, if I do this, then then I will get a reward and that makes me much more likely to do it. Hold on. Did you, did you just do an if then plan? I've just done an if then plan on the fly. <laughs> I love it. And um, based on what you're saying, the, the third uh, question comes in is how can I make it easy? And Sam, you just spoke about that before, but human beings will always take the path of least resistance. And your goal in trying to create mm-hmm. a new habit is to reduce the friction. The higher, it's like a, yep. a, like doing a high jump. It's much easier to jump over uh, a 0.2 meter bar than it is a two or three meter bar. And so lowering the barrier mm-hmm. to entry becomes really, really clear. So it's the, I think James Clear has a really nice quote where he says, human behavior follows the law of least effort. And so the whole idea is when you reduce the friction associated with good behaviors, when the friction is low, they, those are favored. But that's the whole idea of good and bad habits. You reduce the friction for good habits, you increase the friction mm-hmm. for bad habits. And in terms of that pendulum, you're more likely to point straight to the good stuff. So that then you can basically flip it. Like how can I make it difficult to do the bad habit? Which is a really interesting implication for all these questions in that we're applying it to good things and good habits. But if you want to break bad habits, instead of how can I make it attractive, how do I make it unattractive? Instead of how do I make it we, obvious, how do I make it invisible? And it becomes a really interesting way. Next week, which oh, we're yeah. going to talk about next week in addictions. I love that. Yeah, making it, making it really easy. To actually get it done. Spot on. And then the last question as we wrap this up is how can I make it satisfying? And the whole idea that James Clear puts forward and how I sort of internalize it is the first three laws we spoke about, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy. They increase the odds of the behavior occurring, right? Because again, we're just trying to make it happen so that you actually repeat it often. Because the first time you do it, it's going to be different to the fifth time you do it. The fifth time is different to the 10th. And you start to form those habit loops because you're doing it more often. But the fourth law of behavior change, making it satisfying, increases the odds that the behavior will happen the next time, right? And that's the whole idea of repeating it. And so there's two really clear ways you can go about doing this. And how I did it is a habit tracker. We spoke about the Seinfeld method before. 
get your calendar up. And I put it in the office. I actually put it in the office where all my colleagues could see so that I had some accountability. My, my colleagues would ask, hey, correct. They used to ask, hey, Kieran, what's that about? And I'd have to tell them. And I would like be ticking this off. And the two that I was tracking was um, whether no, like no alcohol and was actually going and exercising. And I remember I had a cross in the calendar for orange, like was a cross that was orange was for exercise and a plus sign in purple was for not drinking. And I hold, what you find very clearly is it's quite satisfying to tick these things off. And what's even more satisfying is when people come and say, hey, Kieran, great job. You're 13 days, 14 days. I had colleagues, two colleagues actually now put it up for them. And it started to create, as we said, an accountability partnership, which means that you have redundancy in your model. Instead of relying on yourself and your willpower to get stuff done, you start to have a network of three or four people who would actually hold each other accountable. And that's the whole idea that becomes really clear. And I would say this is the massive thing that got me to do it again, that habit tracker, and then having people in the office, my colleagues who I respected, actually say, hey, Kieran, what happened last night? They would ask me and I don't have to be like, oh, I didn't do it. I'd feel guilty. I'd actually end up doing it that night. And uh, yeah, it worked all the way through to then leading to that sort of 14 kilos, which, you know, if I can be really frankly, I'm pretty, pretty proud of myself to do. And I hope that's not arrogant. I just, I didn't think I'd be able to do it, but uh, here we are. And Kieran looks great. Do I? And don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, mate. Four really, uh, four really simple questions, you know, how do you make it obvious? How do you make it attractive? How do you make it easy? And how do you make it satisfying? And there you go. Good habits. Good habits. Uh, cool. I mean, that that's, I've never gone that far deep into James Clear's work and hearing it articulated that way may, makes me realize I probably should have. Uh, to wrap up those brain tools so everyone gets a recap before they go, my three were uh, what if-then plans. Number two, make the decision ahead of time. And number three, uh, to break a bad habit, wait before making that decision. I love it. And for mine, uh, perform a habit scorecard, actually take stock of your current list of habits, focus on the lead indicators, not the lag, focus on the processes, not just the outcome, and the Thor Laws of Habit Change by James Clear. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and most importantly, make it satisfying. Yeah, crazy. And now uh, now i got to go build some new habits. I'm inspired. So am I. Uh, Let's do it. I'm, uh, Let's actually do it. 80-20 takeaway from this episode. What have you got for me? So mine is the classic, and you know where I was leading here, but uh, focus on process and systems over the outcomes. The outcome will take care of itself if you have a very good system pointing due north. And yourself? Yep. Uh, my 80-20 was uh, habits require planning ahead of time. Plan ahead of time for better habits. I love it. So good. That's it. So good. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this week's episode really excited for next week's episode i'm going to test kieran to see if he remembers what it's about the next episode is going to be about addiction so we've looked at good habits let's now look at the dark side of habits oh yeah which is going to be really fascinating i know all of us have addictions at the moment really looking forward to that thanks again for tuning in and listening to us forward to seeing you next week bye-bye see you later Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Brain Tools. We've got three quick things to hit you with before you go. One, if you want to hear other Brain Tools, you can find our other episodes at the link below and on all podcasting platforms. Number two, if you like this episode, then give us a review on iTunes or Spotify only if it's above four stars. And number three, 
you can go ahead and join the braintools.mn.co community where we'll post a complete brain guide based on this episode plus a ton of other resources best of all it is completely free cannot wait to see you next episode and until then bye for now see you next episode